Welcome to the 2018 Prima Podcast Series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima Podcast, Charlie Wand will discuss using data to mitigate risk. Charlie is the founder and president of the Agency for Student Health Research, a company dedicated to achieving the safest possible environment for all children. Charlie is responsible for the overall performance and direction of the Agency for Student Health Research. On a daily basis, he works with policymakers, administrators, and caregivers within pediatric populations and assists with streamlining the workflow surrounding student accident reporting. Additionally, Charlie helps educational organizations dive compliance with state mandates surrounding concussions. Charlie is also responsible for the development of technology solutions aimed at the reduction of administrative burden placed on educators, volunteers, and administrators through the student accident reporting process and claims management. This development is driven by conversations with the staff positioned to process the paperwork, which is currently utilized by schools and districts. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Charlie. Absolutely. What is your background and what do you do at the Agency for Student Health Research? Yeah, well, both my parents are teachers, um, and I actually ended up being uh, an elementary education teacher for a few years before I became an athletic director and and, uh, educational administrator for about 10, 15 years. And uh, during that process, really uncovered and, and looked at a lot of the, the pain that goes into student accident reporting and a lot of the issues of communication when it comes to the health and welfare of kids. So uh, about seven years ago, I left the education world briefly to found the Agency for Student Health Research as an organization that was dedicated to using technology to help uh, close those communication gaps. And so today, our organization is involved with uh, a number of different efforts, but mainly we work with schools and school districts to uh, improve their communication uh, around the health and wellness of the kids, and mainly that has a lot to do with concussions and injuries that are occurring on the athletic fields, as that's where a lot of the individual state laws and regulations are being focused right now. So we work with uh, a lot of organizations, a lot of uh, policymakers at the state level, as well as youth sport organizations, uh, but mainly schools and districts uh, and some of the JPAs and insurance groups as we work with trying to tighten up the risk mitigation and loss control processes in place around these different areas. So a very complex ecosystem, uh, a lot of um, uh, consulting. We do a lot of evaluation about protocols how organizations, how districts can establish return to learn, return to uh, play policies that are in compliance with state laws. But we also then uh, look at information and data trend analysis on what kind of injuries are occurring and what we can do to develop interventions to prevent them from uh, happening in the future as well. So uh, that's a a mouthful, but in short, uh, we're we're working to improve the uh, educational environment for kids and their well-being. How do you collect data from schools and districts? Sure. Well, during that process and review early on with the Agency for Student Health Research, uh, we saw a a lot of paper forms being used for the student accident reporting. And a big problem was the 
uh, the forms that were required, that are required by the schools and districts, don't often uh, meet the, the needs of nurses or athletic trainers that are in and around these environments. And so what we did was we followed the student accident reporting process, the paper form, if you will, where it goes, who needs to sign it, and ultimately, you know, where is it stored. And we digitized that process by developing a software platform we call InjureFree. And in that InjureFree system, we deploy the platform throughout all the staff members, uh, volunteers, administrators, um, and medical staff users, sometimes even the parents also. And during the student accident reporting process, as that's done from the phones and mobile devices in and around the district, all of the data, the communication pieces, are collected and aggregated in our database. And we're able to centralize that communication. We're able to uh, date and time stamp that um, in a HIPAA and FERPA compliant environment. And as that communication is streamlined, as the workflow is streamlined, we aggregate the trend analysis on the types of injuries that are occurring, uh, ages of students, locations that they're happening, uh, all different kinds of information that's useful for, again, risk pools, excess liability funds, and then ultimately the carriers and the brokers and the MGUs who as they look to identify what types of injuries they can ensure, you know, what type of policies they can create, and then ultimately how we're able to reduce those costs for the schools and districts over time through an actuary process. What is the biggest risk schools face today regarding student accident reporting? There are a number of issues, I think, that specifically can be addressed in this, but to give more of a blanket overlying statement on it, I think that the biggest issue is just not knowing what's going on in their state legislator uh, and legislative action and, and really what, what laws pertain to them. Um, so a lack of understanding of the laws uh, can be a, a huge liability. It may be that at the district level, there is an understanding, certainly risk managers understand these gaps, but, on, but really it's about making sure that all of the staff members and volunteers, all the employees in and around these environments are also aware and collecting then all of the proper training, certifications that are going on there, any types of communication, again, that needs to be tightened up. Uh, there's a lag in communication. So that's where we see the largest risk is that lack of understanding what liabilities might, might our school or district have facing them uh, because of the laws that are out there. But, you know, the, the biggest concerns in the, as far as the health and safety of the children is not being on the same page, the transparency and the cohesive communication in these ecosystems after a suspected concussion is reported. What we've seen is children who go back to play too soon before they're properly cleared and sustaining a second head injury, and that can manifest itself into a catastrophic loss, catastrophic injury, or claim. Um, but it's not just concussions. It's all injuries that are, that are you know, being tracked and monitored here that need to have that same type of protocol in placement. In fact, we, not too long ago, just this year or towards the end of last year, we saw a school out in New York. Actually, uh, a child had a, a concussion during football season, last football season, and somehow ended up getting into PE class without a proper clearance and sustaining a second impact uh, during that class ended up in manifesting itself as a lawsuit. So that's the kind of communication gap that we try to solve. That's the risks that are out there in that reporting component, not knowing 
and, and having caregivers not communicate effectively uh, because of when they are on staff, when they are, are at the care of the children. What we see there is, you know, sometimes there's a school nurse and then an, an athletic trainer, and it's almost two different shifts, if you will, for care, uh, care, care oversight within a school. We've got the day shift with the school nurse, and then about 3 o'clock they go home, and then an athletic trainer will come on. We've heard situations where the school nurse and the athletic trainer don't even know each other's names. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the type of gaps that we've got to hem up. So a number of risks, but really the, the biggest one is the communication, the timely communication, the connectedness, and then the lack of understanding of those state laws and, and what type of requirements fall onto the, uh, the coaches, the staff members, volunteers, and even the administrators. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's some words from Prima's member services manager, Danica Williams, regarding Prima membership benefits. Prima is a membership organization dedicated to advancing the knowledge and practice of risk management in the public sector. Prima members come from a diverse range of disciplines, entity types, sizes, and share a variety of titles, including risk manager, human resources professional, workers' compensation coordinator, employee benefits coordinator, claims administrator, safety personnel, risk pool administrator, just to name a few. Despite their titles, there is one resounding theme among these individuals, and that is that they manage risks within their entity and importantly, risks affecting the public interest. Prima members enjoy a robust array of educational programming, risk management resources, and networking opportunities. Some of Prima's member benefits include access to blogs, podcasts, webinars, Prima's job bank, Prima's online community where members have the ability to connect, share, and solicit information directly from their colleagues, Prima's library of risk management documents, Prima's flagship publication, the Public Risk Magazine, and member discounts to all Prima events and training. Becoming a Prima member is one of the most worthwhile career investments a risk management practitioner can make, not just for themselves, but for their entire entity. To learn more about Prima member resources, visit primacentral.org. How can administrators improve their current student safety protocols? You know, there's a number of, again, it really depends. One, one thing we always say is if, uh, if you've seen one school district, you've seen one school district. And really it comes down to individually starting at the state level, what state laws um, are pertinent to them, and then moving into then the district, what are they already currently doing and how can we get better? So an evaluation, number one, where do we stand is always helpful. And that's something that we, right away, that's what we do with our schools and districts. That's the first meeting, that's the first question that we have during our rollout process with the, with the uh, injury-free platform, is we always ask them, okay, what are your current protocols? And evaluating then how we can digitize that process, how we can streamline it, and even maybe fill a few of those gaps. But one of the biggest things that we see out there, and, and many administrators and many school districts are, are always asking the question, you know, how can we do this? We know that we have these laws and we need to take this first step. What do we do? It really is starting with just making a conscious effort. And we all know, again, you know, being a former educator, it's tough because there really is no good time in a school year to start doing this type of process. It's not something that many educators have on top of mind. 
uh, the health and safety and the wellness of our children, our um, concerns that typically uh, a school nurse might have or a district nurse or a wellness committee, but not something that a typical administrator is, is thinking of right away. Sitting down and just saying, okay, we need to do something, you know, let's take a look. That's, that's step number one. Step number two is, you know, again, going back, as educators, we're not in a position to think about these types of things or really to have the information and knowledge about what we can do and how we can improve. So I would recommend reaching out into the community, finding experts. Often universities or health systems are there to help and aid, advise in these types of relationships. And there's a number of resources, state-level brain injury associations that can help direct. But if there isn't some type of connection then to a health system or a doctor or some type of specialist in these types of protocols, then certainly someone like a brain injury association would be someone who could help provide those types of evaluations. So that's a big step, too, is that the finding of resources so that it's not falling on the school administrators solely. But ultimately, what we're looking to do here, what really needs to occur is documentation, proper reporting, and making sure that everyone's doing their job. Nobody likes paperwork. We all know that. And very seldomly uh, are the number of student accident injuries that are coming out of athletics being reported properly as per the district protocols. So sitting down with an athletic trainer, sitting down with your medical staff, understanding how many, what is their volume, and then establishing what is a reportable protocol, excuse me, what is a reportable injury, and establishing that as a part, as a part of your protocol. That would be a huge step. It's just getting everybody on the same page because, you know, if we reported every time uh, a student came to the athletic training room during, uh, during a season, you know, that would be something like 400 injury reports a day or a week. You know, there's a lot of volume that goes on there, and often that's falling on one person. So we want to eliminate that. We want to ease that administrative burden for them so that we can make it easy for the injury reporting process to occur. And then once that starts to happen, we're going to tighten up our, our loss control and risk management protocols and ultimately gain some valuable data as to what's actually happening in our schools and in our, in our districts. One of the biggest jumps we see is that we rely on this na national data or information we hear from the NFL or any other type of reporting agency. What makes it valuable for administrators is to have access to information that's occurring within their schools and districts, within their own oversight. That makes it actionable because it's something that they can actually do something about. They have that control. So gaining that understanding of what's happening will that allow us to start to develop the interventions. So a couple different steps there, you know, really sitting down, taking the time, evaluating what's going on, working with the, the staff members that have the highest volume of protocols to, to make it something that's reasonable and efficient, having a methodology for collecting the information in a timely manner and then reviewing that information, and then developing interventions and, and having a continuous quality improvement cycle with local resources is probably some of the best things that we can do to help uh, improve those safety protocols. Can you provide a story or a case study of how you've seen data create a positive impact on student safety and or reduce risk for a school? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen uh, lots of different scenarios where administrators, once they have access to information, are able to act on a seasonal, a yearly basis. And even if we look at the actuarial process, 
you know, we always look at, you know, three, five, ten years of data historical. And that allows us then to look at and predict what risk might be happening or at least set our rates off of that process. And so what we want to do and what our mission is is to try to use technology to speed that process up and even make it a real, real-time scenario where, you know, it's always great to be able to say, okay, well, over the past 10 years, we've had XYZ number of claims, so we're going to predict that those types of claims are going to happen over the next two, three, four years. But, you know, that process doesn't help the kids that are getting hurt and that season right here, right now. And how do we mitigate risk that's happening as it happens? That's always, you know, what, what our goal is. That's where we try to get to. So we had a, a great case scenario for you where uh, we had one school uh, start their football season with about 150 kids on in their football teams. And so that's the, the freshmen, the JV, and the varsity teams. And in the first three weeks of that season, we had eight concussions reported in the injury-free system. And that, that set off some alarms. Uh, that rate of concussions that rate of reporting there would have ended up the season with about 30% of the team having some type of concussion or head injury or suspected concussion. And this is going back a few years now. So there was a, a lot of concern, a lot of media attention, and there still is about concussions, but you know, the concern at this time was high. And what would have happened was parents were going out and they were buying a five-star rated helmet, a football helmet for their for their uh, their children, because the school in the district was providing a four-star rated helmet, and the the helmet star rating is a meant to be some type of quality indication or, or safety record. So you know the parents felt, well, the schools in the district aren't doing enough to protect our kids. We're going to go out and we're going to buy the top of the line helmet. These are you know four hundred, five hundred dollar helmets. And when we looked at the data that was coming in and the reports. It was the children, the students who were using those five-star rated helmets that were the ones suffering from the concussions, all eight of them. And it was, that was an outlier in this data set that allowed us to act in real time. And we started to ask more questions. And we always say, you know, the, the data that comes in is what's being reported. And it's not meant to be a, a end-of-the-line, you know, determining factor, but it allows us to start to ask more questions, more informed questions. And so we started to ask questions about why. Why was it these eight kids, why were they using five-star rated helmets? Where did these come from? What was going on? Well, it turns out that when we found that, the school said, oh, wow, this is terrific. First off, it's not our helmets, so we know that we're trying to absolve ourselves of some liability here. But at the same time, you know, we needed to figure out what was happening. And when the parents had gone and they were buying these helmets, and versus when the school was issuing them, there were two different people then that were actually fitting the helmet. When the parents went and did it, it was whoever was selling them at the sporting goods store. When the school supplied them, it was either the helmet manufacturer, the coaches, or the athletic trainers. And all three of those people were actually trained on how to properly fit a helmet. So what we did was we sent out an email notification through our platform to just the parents of that football team. And we said, if you're not using a school-issued helmet, Go see your athletic trainer, have it properly fit. And for the next 12 weeks, the remaining 12 weeks of that season, only three concussions were reported for the entire time. So there's an example of how having access to the information in a real-time scenario can help mitigate risk and loss and prevent student accidents from occurring, as well as 
document why these injuries were occurring, what was going on, and some of the differences that were involved. Um, all, all products of that timely reporting, having established protocols, having community resources, and all of the positive things that we can do there uh, as we evaluate some of our safety protocols. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Charlie and Taekwon. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Enjoy the rest of your day.